0: Good morning uh, it is it 's really good to be back uh, i 'm very excited to um, yeah get to preach and feel like uh, i 've been away from a home even though i 've been here, so I have been at church still attending um, but yeah if you 're newer around this place, I actually do work here i 'm not just a guy that usually greets you so my name 's chris i 'm the lead pastor here. And uh, helped start this church almost two years ago now. Uh, I'm gonna we're gonna actually be uh, just jumping right in. I want to and I want to catch some of us up if we haven't been there. But uh, we're in the middle, or from my understanding, your church is in the middle <laughs> of a big long series called uh, Wholehearted, and the idea being, um, what if at the end of this year you loved, knew, and experienced Jesus more than you ever have? And that's like a really clean phrase, but I want you to think about that for a second. Maybe you know Jesus, maybe you love him, maybe you've experienced him. What if at the end of this year, all of those things you could say, that's the most I've ever known, loved, and experienced him. How amazing would that be? And so we're going after that almost like, and this is a window into my brain, almost systematically going after the aspects of our heart. And when we say heart, we mean very much in the Jewish sense of every aspect of following and loving Jesus. And so this month, in the month of June, it's almost kind of a a mini-series on wholehearted uh, and we're calling it practice because we believe that if we love jesus it should change the way that we spend our time if we love jesus it should change our rhythms and we want to kind of go through and say okay how do my practices set me up to love jesus more and to receive his love more fully and so that's what we've been going through uh two weeks ago megan taught on celebration and the gift of joy last week my friend pastor rob talked on generosity and the gift it is to actually give and so this week i'm making my big debut with repentance and i saw that and i'm like i don't want to come back I, i want these people to like me again um but there's no one to blame i make the calendar Um, So this is absolutely my own doing, and so today is about repentance, but first I want to start with um, what today is, which is not only Father's Day, but it's Juneteenth, and uh, I want to read a special liturgy that actually came out of our church, so this was not copy and pasted from Google or anywhere else, this is something that has been written by us and uh, a little bit of context. Uh, January 1st, 1863, was the uh, Emancipation Proclamation done by Abraham Lincoln, signed. Uh, but Confederate states had been a bit slow in actually implementing what was happening and implementing the free, uh, the freedom of their slaves. Uh, Texas was the most remote state at that time, and so on June 19th, 1865, uh, so two and a half years later. June 19th 1865 an announcement came general order number three from the Union Army Gordon Granger made his way to Galveston Texas proclaiming freedom for the last group of enslaved people and uh, because Texas was the most remote there was still Confederate slavery happening there and so Juneteenth is a celebration of when the last slaves in America were set free and so this is going to be a call and response I'm going to read Uh, The smaller letters, you're going to respond with the bigger letters at the bottom. Lord, we come to you today on June 19th. It's the day when the last American slave was set free. But we know that freedom on paper doesn't necessarily mean freedom in practice. And that declaring freedom under the law did not and may not mean equality under the law. Lord, meet us here today. Lord, for hundreds of years, slavery was the way of our country. We know the ways this grieves your heart. We acknowledge that Christians were complicit in a system that denied dignity to your image bearers. And we admit that some have unequally benefited from the legacy of slavery in America. Lord, forgive us. Jesus, you assign value and worth to every human. Slavery, slavery and racial opposition denied them of their inherent worth and God-given identity. We join in lamenting with our black brothers and sisters. Lord, we repent of our ignorance and our complicity. Lord, we acknowledge that we live in a country where slavery's consequences are still present and felt. Awaken within us each the awareness of our own prejudices and biases. Teach us when to shout and when to be silent. Empower us to pursue justice, even when it comes at a cost of our comfort. Lead us to advocate for the freedom of others, especially the most vulnerable. Show us how to celebrate liberation. We want to do better and be better, Jesus. Lord, show us your way, that we may be in it. Amen. Father, we do... Um, ask that. And God, I pray that this church and this city and this nation could hold what today is, uh, which is a day intention. It's a day of both celebration and mourning. Father, we celebrate of the progress that we've made and the freedom that has come. And Father, we also mourn that we're just not at the place that we want to be. God, teach us what it looks like to hold that intention. Teach us what it looks like to honor and to mourn, to celebrate and to be sad, to fight and to rest. Holy Spirit, we need you in this country, and we need you to teach us what freedom looks like. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, which, that ties in really well to the topic today of repentance, and, and I want to start, before we jump into our passage this morning, I want to start by saying um, that repentance was a big deal to Jesus, Repentance was a big deal to Jesus. The very first thing that Mark records Jesus saying when he comes onto the stage, the first words that he ever uttered was this. In Mark 1, verse 15, it says, Jesus said, The time has come. The kingdom has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repentance is a big deal to Jesus. And probably some of us, me included, have to start unlearning a little bit of what repentance is. Because I you know, I even looked at my little Excel spreadsheet that said the calendar of what I'm preaching on, and I'm like, ah, oh, man. And I got this image of a street preacher and a bullhorn and a mob with si- signs. And so uh, repentance is a big deal to Jesus. Repentance is very much at the crux of who Jesus is. And it's possible that we might have to do a little bit of unlearning for us to fully engage with it. And so the big idea this morning, if we leave with anything, here's what I wanna leave with, is repentance is not just... The release of sin but it's also the release of his presence mm, yes <laughs> repentance is not just a release of sin but it's a release of his presence and so we walk around sometimes and we're like oh man i've got to get low 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 and it's so sad 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 but that's not fully the case of repentance that's half the story that the street preacher is going to tell you repentance doesn't just release you from your sin it releases the presence of god in your life It doesn't get any better than that. And so remember, I know I've been gone for a while. Pastor Rob, you got us warmed up last week, but it's okay. Don't let the pews and stained glass fool you. It's okay to talk every now and then. You don't have to. You don't have to. Really, you do not. But if you're feeling crazy, whisper amen to your neighbor, okay? (laughs) If you're getting out of hand, you can say, that's good. That's my personal favorite. Oh, come on. One time, I saw Karen wave a hanky over there. Unacceptable. (laughs) We do not have fun. We do not show expression in church, Karen. So if you're getting a little crazy, it's okay. If you want to, not for my benefit only for yours, but church can be a place of fun and the presence of God even on repentance Sunday. So, repentance is not just a release of sin, but it is the release of his presence. We're going to of course, we're going to open the Bible and talk about repentance. We're going to be in 2nd Chronicles 34. Very good. I know I heard it in the back. 2nd Chronicles 34 verse 1 says this, Josiah was 8 years old when he became king. It's crazy. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning to the right or to the left. His father David, it was not literally his father. He came in the lineage of David. It was like his great, great, great grandfather. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, 16 years old, Josiah, he began to seek the Lord, the God of his father, David. Now, I want you to try to imagine and put yourself in the context of where Josiah is living. It's going to be really difficult. But Josiah was living at a time of spiritual decline. He was living at a time of spiritual decline. There had not been a move of God for about 90 years in that place. There was no temple, uh, proper temple worship. The temple had been destroyed. And so there was no proper worship of Yahweh. So worship and submission to Yahweh had been going down. Worship and submission to self had been going up. I just want you, I know it's really difficult, but I want you to try to imagine what living in a culture like that would have been like. Spiritual decline is everywhere. And somehow, and this is the most dramatic, crazy part of those first couple verses, somehow it says that Josiah began to seek the Lord, the God of his father, David. He didn't seek the Lord, the God of his father. His father, Amon, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. His grandfather, Manasseh, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. There is a divine, crazy, unbelievable happening in verse 3 that somehow a 16-year-old starts going the other direction. Now, and if you've been here for a while, you know I am all about the supernatural. I'll go down any alley to chase a miracle. But fathers, what if our kid's story was just a little bit more boring than that? Fathers, what if your kid's story was just a little bit more mundane? Uh, We had our daughter four weeks ago what if Third Chronicles came and they wanted to record the, the history of city church? What if they just wrote down some boring stuff like Esther grew up fiercely loving the God of her father? So boring. Bo grew up fiercely loving the God of his father. Imogen grew up fiercely loving the God of her father. Rowan grew up fiercely loving the God of his father. Grayling grew up fiercely loving the God of his father. Nova grew up fiercely loving the God of her father. And this isn't just little kids. Samantha grew up fiercely loving the God of her father. What if our kids' stories was just a little bit more boring? I love verse 3. It's amazing. It's crazy that Josiah gets encountered by God. But what if your kids' stories are just a little bit more lame? They just grew up. Fiercely loving Jesus, because they saw Daddy doing it. They grew up fiercely pursuing the presence of God, just because that's what they knew in the home. It's so boring, but yet it's just as beautiful as what happened to Josiah. Um, I uh, I want to honor, and today's also Father's Day, and I would love for us to honor the fathers among us. Um, but before that, uh. And I struggled with this one in practice, but uh, I also want to acknowledge, uh, men, for those of us, that this day is hard. Um, This day is hard for a number of reasons, maybe because you don't have a good relationship with your father, or you don't have a good relationship with your kids. Maybe your uh, wife has had a miscarriage. Maybe you wish you had kids, but you haven't found that person yet, and so there's uh, double pain around today, or maybe you've struggled with some form of infertility, and I know for the last five years, uh, this day has been really difficult, and I want all of you to know that um, I see you and we see you, and uh, today, again, like Juneteenth, in some ways is not just a day of celebration, but for some of us it's a day of mourning. Um, but I do want to honor and I want to pray for Dad so if you're a father in any, in any way, uh, earthly kids, uh, miscarriage, I'd love for you to stand up. Now. <laughs> Thank you. If you're a father, stand up. And uh, if you're near, really close to one of these guys, would you put your hand on them? If uh, you're not, can you extend a hand towards these men? And here's, I felt something specific that I wanted to pray over these guys. I want to pray for us meekness. And my favorite definition uh, or exposition of meekness is power under control. So we're going to pray for that. Father, we ask for meekness to fill these men. Father, we ask for power, but not just power. God, we don't need toxic masculinity. Father, we ask for power under control. God, help us to fiercely and gently love. God, help us to be strong and patient. Father, we ask that we could change not just the course of families, but the course of friend groups and in the city. God, fill us with power, but fill us with the kind of character that can maintain and correct and steward that power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. The rest of verse 3 said, In his twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, Asherah poles and idols. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars, that were above them, and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Josiah goes ham, okay? He goes crazy. Josiah totally destroyed, completely annihilated all of the idols in his heart, in his life, and in his nation. He, I mean, and he doesn't just cover them up or put them in a drawer. He destroys them. He smashes them. He burns them. And at this point in his life, I almost promise you, I promise you that someone somewhere in his life, and you've maybe had this happen too, came to him and said, and they would have done it more reasonably and, and very uh, calmly and, and probably under the guise of some spirituality, but somebody came to him, I promise you, and said, hey, bro, love, love the Yahweh stuff, um, but what if, what if maybe we're taking this a little, just a, a slight teensy bit too far do you think it's possible that maybe you're going after this Yahweh a little bit too far what if what if a a famine happens again and remember you know 50 years ago Baal Baal brought us rain I'm I'm pretty sure what if what, what if we just covered him up what if we didn't smash him what if we just threw a sheet over the Asherah pole instead of cutting it down there was someone or probably multiple people in Josiah's life that said man I think you might be going a little bit too far uh, have you ever been there? Have you ever been, and, and, and they do it so lovingly, right? So um, even uh, with the, the nuance of spirituality, but uh, asking you, maybe you're just going a little bit too fast. Have you ever been asked that question before? Um, I hope so, because it's a good spot to be in. Have you ever asked that question? <clears throat> I have. I feel like I've been in both positions where uh, people have said, hey, maybe you need to slow down a little bit. Like, hey, we're in this for the long haul. Let's have a sustainable pursuit of Jesus, not like all out. And I've been on the other side where um, I feel and what they're feeling and maybe what you felt is the conviction of seeing somebody else do what you know you're called to do also. And there's two options you have. You can go with them or you can try to pull them back. In college, I, uh, when I first got to college, I was 19... And uh, I remember my friend, one of my best friends, decided he was not going to drink until he was 21 because of his conviction of uh, the word and Jesus. And so he made that decision. And I remember wrestling with that decision also. And I had two options. So what I chose to do, this is, this is real, this is Pastor Chris. I scoured the Bible for a loophole that I could show him that actually the letter of the law, God doesn't really care about that anymore. Guys, that was the hardest I ever studied the Bible. It's crazy <laughs> at that time. And I remember, I'm like, "There's got where's the grace? Where's Paul? Surely there's gotta be something in here. And if you ever, and we don't love blanket statements at this church, but if you ever find yourself looking for a loophole to justify the actions of your life, you might be in the wrong spot. And I remember 19-year-old me, and man, I was learning all kinds of scripture because I'm looking for the place that's like, oh, hey, we don't have to do that. We can go with the rest of the world. Um, I want you to, and this is going to get a, a little heavy for a second, but I, I love this exercise. I want you to imagine, let's go a little deeper on this. I want you to imagine the moment that you go to heaven. Okay, walk through the pearly gates. Uh, you have uh, onboarding to heaven with Jesus, so he sits down with you. I sit down with, with my Jesus. It's probably in the corner booth of a restaurant somewhere where they have finally figured out how to uh, fuse Tex-Mex and Chick-fil-A. So Jesus and I sit down. He's not wearing a suit, he's wearing jeans and an IU T-shirt, praise God. He hands me, my Jesus, hands me the largest Diet Coke you've ever seen. But this one's filled with vitamins and antioxidants, praise God. So I sit down with Jesus, corner booth, and he starts talking to me about heaven. Now, here's where it gets real, and I want you to find your Jesus. I know some of you are like, my Jesus is just the one that I read about in the book of John. Cool, it's awesome. (laughs) It's great. I want you to find your Jesus, and if it helps, you can close your eyes. You're sitting there with Jesus. This is going to get real, and it's going to sound ridiculous, but I want you to imagine sitting there with him, and I'm a numbers guy, so we're going to go percentages. What's the percent chance that Jesus sits across from you and says, well done, good and faithful servant? Man, you took me way too seriously. What's the percent chance you sit across from Jesus and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. When I said follow me, I didn't really mean you had to be that close. What's the chance that you sit down with Jesus and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Dang, you took sin way too seriously. What's the percent chance that you sit down with Jesus and he says, I didn't care about your porn addiction. What's the percent chance you sit down with Jesus. And he said, I didn't care that you were gossiping. I thought it was funny when you started those rumors. That was, that was great. I, what's the percent chance you sit down with Jesus, and he says, I didn't care that you got drunk every now and then. That was Paul. Paul, Paul was a hardliner. I'm Jesus. This is grace. I, didn't, I, I wanted you to not do it all the time, but I didn't care. The, the drug thing, man, I, you didn't need to follow me on that. That's the government, that's the law. I'm, I am grace. What's the percent chance Jesus sits down and says, Man, you just took your sin too seriously? What's the percent chance Jesus sits down and said, Man, I wish you would have just stored up more for yourself? I wanted you to hold on to a little bit. Where moth and rust destroy. That's the good stuff. What's the percent chance Jesus sits down and said, I didn't care about sleeping around. I mean, I didn't want it to happen a lot, but like every now every now and then, you guys were committed. You were committed. It's not a big deal. Tell me what, and, and it sounds so silly, but I want you to go there for a second and imagine what's the chance that Jesus says, I didn't really care about that. And I do this exercise every now and then, because if I'm, if I'm honest and Uh, I hope this can come across somewhat humble. There are no, like, big, large, disqualifiable sins in my life. So, on the surface, I'm probably doing better than, than some, maybe most Christians. And so the temptation I can fall into, this is me, I don't know about you, is I'm doing fine so I can tolerate a little bit more. As long as as there's nothing that can get me fired, as long as there's nothing that you would like gasp at, as long as it's like some like mediocre, harmless little things, I can move into that. And every now and then I sit down with Jesus in that booth and I try to imagine that and it's ridiculous. I know how silly this sounds and every time I end up with like zero, there's just not a chance that Jesus says, man, I, I didn't really care, you're following me too close I was just throwing stuff out there. I didn't really care that you like came after me in that way. It goes on in 2 Chronicles, and they have actually lost the Bible at this point. They have lost the word of God. And so Josiah takes a, uh, an offering to rebuild the temple. And in the midst of rebuilding the temple, they find the, the book of the law. They find the book of the law, and it says, the guy that found it, Hilkiah, In verse 15, Hilkiah said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. Josiah immediately responds to what has been read. He immediately responds to what was going on. I love how John Tyson talks about this portion of scripture. He says that slowness to repent is a sign of immaturity. Slowness to repent is a sign of immaturity. And God's response to Josiah in verse 27, God's response through the priest, says, because your heart was responsive, and because you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me, and because you tore your robes, and because you wept in my presence, God said this to him, I have heard you. One man's repentance led to a whole nation's revival. One man's repentance changed the trajectory of a whole group of people. At 2 Chronicles 34, I want to uh, talk practically, um, what is repentance? Let's shift gears a little bit. What is repentance? How do we do it? Uh, Martin Luther, in his famous 95 theses that he nailed to the door to start the Reformation... Uh, he said his very first line, opening line is, When our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Uh, the Bible was written in two primary languages, neither of them English. I'm so sorry. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and the word for repent in the Old Testament is shuv. And it means to return. It was first used in Genesis, returning to the garden. And in a way, repentance is exactly that. We're trying to return to the garden, to the fullness of God's presence. In the New Testament, uh, it's actually a compound word in Greek, metanoia. So the first word, meta, before it was Facebook, the Bible had it. Take that, Zuck. Meta means to change. And noia means mind. So to change your mind. You do not have the ability to change your heart. I do not have the ability to change my heart, but I do have the ability to change my mind. I have the ability to change my mind about what God says in my life. I have the ability to change my mind around uh, aligning with what he um, says and what he does. So we don't change our hearts. Only God does that. And that should relieve a little bit of stress in the room. But we can change our mind. We can start to align our mind more and more and more with who God is. We can start to agree with him about both sin and about our identity. We want to agree with him about what he says about us. I don't want to partner with any other thought, any other voice. I want to partner with the voice of God that tells me who I am. It's not just agreeing with him on sin, but it's agreeing with him when he calls us a son and daughter. Repentance... um, practically should do two three things in your life true repentance will lead us to three things first of all true repentance will lead us to godly sorrow so there should be a feeling that's evoked in the midst of repentance and it's not shame but it is sorrow we never move into shame we should never move into shame that's never the voice of the lord But true repentance should lead us to godly sorrow because we just want to get back to the place that we're supposed to be. And repentance is clearing the, the pipes of our heart to allow more of the presence of God to flow through us. And so, number one, true repentance leads us to godly sorrow. Number two, true repentance leads us to radical obedience. True repentance leads us to radical obedience. Um, Confession is kind of the beginning part of repentance, but those two things are are different. Confession starts with an acknowledgement, but repentance adds a bit of action and returning on the end of it. And so regarding regarding sin, um, good, true repentance kind of follows this model where, one, we make it known. We make that sin known, first to God, but oftentimes to a couple others. We make that known to others. Number two, second step, is then we invite him in. God, change my heart. God, help me change my mind. We invite the presence of God, and we don't try to white-knuckle this. We don't try to do it on our own. We say, God, would you change my heart in regards to this? And then number three, and this is important, and sometimes we skip this, is we don't only invite him in, but we then come up with a plan. We come up with some kind of plan that I don't return to that, Maybe this part is a little bit more reasonable or practical or you partner with another friend or you partner even with God of kind of setting up the guidelines of how you want to do this. And this is for sin both big and small, obvious and harmless. Because what we tolerate in our lives, what we tolerate often will determine the quality of our spiritual life. What you tolerate will often determine the quality of your spiritual life. So, how do we do both of these things? Because we are a God that believes in the presence. We're a God that believes in the supernatural. In a moment, he could break off your addiction. In a moment, he could heal your anxiety. In a moment, he could change your family line. And and we believe in formation, the long, constant journey of pursuing Jesus through not just our prayer life, but through our practical life. How do we do both of those? One, it's um, God, we ask that we would never go to that website again, and you get the internet filter. God, I want to love your word, and I sign up for a Bible reading plan. God, I wanna just be more generous, and I set up the auto pay. God, I want to just show me how to be a missionary in my neighborhood, and I build margin into my schedule. God, give me friends. God, would you help me to make good friends, and you show up consistently in people's lives. God, would you just heal my anxiety, and you go out, and you find a therapist. It is not either or. We believe that God is the God of grace and truth. You don't serve a God of the either or. You serve a God of the and. He is the God of grace and truth. He's the God of mercy and justice. He's the God of doing the supernatural and he honors the faithfulness with us. He's the God of grace and holiness. And we pursue God through his presence and we pursue God through formation. Jesus paid it all and we're invited to co-labor with him. It's the beauty of following Jesus. Is he is the God of the and. He's not an either or kind of God. He's not just grace or just truth. He invites us to co-labor with with him. Uh, We repent, and I want to really make sure we understand this. We repent not just for the punishment of our sins. We can't unhinge sin and repentance, but that is not the fuel. I used to repent just to avoid hell. I figured out that's not really where we're supposed to go with this. We don't just repent for the punishment of our sins, but we repent to go back to the intimacy of his presence. We repent so that we can be back in his presence. And if we repent, because when we repent, we can repent either as failures or as sons and daughters. And failures just try to keep avoiding failure. But sons and daughters, they just want to get back into the presence of their dad. Sons and daughters just want to follow their father wherever he goes. Failures are so focused on not failing again. That is not the identity that Jesus has given you. But he's given us the identity of sons and daughters who just want to be close to our dad. Number two, true repentance leads us to radical obedience. Number three, true repentance leads us to passionate worship. Again, remember, repentance releases us of sin and it releases the presence of God in our lives. Uh, I love Acts 3.19. I think I've seen this um, on a sandwich board with a guy with a bullhorn. And and this is like fire and brimstone. Just put up the first uh, one of those It says, repent, this is, uh, I think it's Peter preaching, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. I've seen that on a sandwich board. I know I have. That's true, guys. The the, the street preacher, he's right, in part, because then it goes on and says, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Man, I haven't seen that on any sign. I feel like he missed it. Such a bummer. This is why we repent. Not just to avoid that or so that we can feel bad or so that we can try to work our way to God. We repent because I want times of refreshing. Because I want the presence of God. And I love the way that Acts 3.19 holds both of those in tension. We, we, we want to fight to not let uh, the few uh, ruin an age-old practice that the church has held sacred for thousands of years. Repentance. It's a big deal to Jesus. Repentance should bring us low, but it doesn't keep us there. Josiah, he tore down the idols, and then he rebuilt the temple. And for hundreds of years, the temple was in disrepair. There couldn't be proper worship of God. But then he started to rebuild the temple. And if we don't replace what's been removed, we will probably just fall back into the same things we were doing. And so we don't just get rid of stuff. We move into love and into worship. True repentance should lead us to passionate worship. And so um, where should we get started? We should start with repenting. We should start with acknowledging our sin and asking God to heal us. And as we change our minds, he changes our hearts. We start with repentance. We start with a return. We start with the ruthless destruction of the idols in our life. But if we want to really follow Jesus, then we've got to rebuild the foundation. Truly following Jesus means we rebuild the foundation through love and through worship. Amen, Josiah's father, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Manasseh, Amen's father, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Hezekiah was a mixed bag, but he ended his life doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. Ahaz, his father, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Josiah had no tangible example in his family, but yet he changed his generational line forever. And so, in your family line, in what's been true of you. What has been true does not have to be true. The addiction that has been present doesn't have to be present. The kind of things your family or maybe your friend group or your lineage has struggled with doesn't have to be true for you. What has been true can be different than what is going to be true. And this is not just for the nuclear family. That is not, that is not the emphasis that we have at this church. This is true biologically, but this is true in your friend group. And this is true in your own personal legacy. And this is true, I hope, for the city of Cincinnati. That as each one of us starts to just turn from things and do things a little bit different, that it changes ever so slightly the landscape of our city. So a couple of questions uh, that I'd love for you guys to think about this afternoon. What do you need to return from? And to whom do you need to return to? For the sake of blank, myself, my city, um, myself, I said that, love myself, uh, my friends, my kids, my family, for the sake of blank, I want to repent of blank. I want you to think about that this afternoon. Um, Okay, now um, I'm finished, but we're going to hear actually a testimony of uh, someone that I hold near and dear. Actually... Uh, in a, so many ways, so many different men have poured into my life and made me to be uh, the man that I am. But one stands uh, better and taller than the rest, and it is my father. And so, I'd like to invite up my dad, Tony Marlin, and uh, he's—I've asked him to share a little bit of his experience and his testimony um, in repentance. So, can you guys welcome up my dad? <clears throat>
1: Good crowd. Um, it's really good to be here with you today. I've had a front row seat to this church uh, when it was a dorm dream, to when it was a plan on paper, to this. You are at the beginning of something very special that God is doing in this city and in this church. I also want to thank you on behalf of my wife. And myself for the many prayers that I know that you've prayed over, Christopher, Catherine, and the birth and health of our little granddaughter Esther, here in the third row. She truly is a little miracle. Now some of you may or may not know that Christopher, prior to being a pastor, was a business major. From an early age, he loved to talk and learn about the many facets of the stock market and business in general. I remember one time back when he was in high school, he was taking a business class and he came in one evening and said, dad, do you want me to tell you when you can retire? (laughs) Of course, I would love to know when I can retire. So he proceeded to ask me several questions like, well, how much money do you need to live on each year? How much do you presently make? Do you think that's going to go up or down? How much money do you have in the bank and the stock market? And at what age do you anticipate dying? <laughs> As you know, he's never, been t- he's never been hard to ask the tough questions. So he wrote down my responses and headed back to his bedroom to crunch the numbers. About an hour later, he came back in and said, Dad, I may have made a mistake, but the way I figure it, he said, and you remember, you said you're gonna die at 90, but I have you retiring at 92. (laughs) Two years after you die. Hmm. Okay. Well, when Christopher asked me to say a few words on Father's Day, I said, sure. I mean, Father's Day, uh, I mean, I can talk about our image of God and how that correlates with our image of our Heavenly Father, how it correlates with the image of our Father's good or bad. he said, no. He said, I'm speaking on repentance, and I want you to share your life's experience when you hit bottom and what repentance since then has looked like in your life from that time. Again, never the one to have a hard time asking tough questions. So a little background on me. My parents were great parents, and still are, and they provided a safe and loving home for me and my older sister. I really never had a need for anything. I was a good student I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't cuss, I didn't even hang out with a lot of people that did that. I attended church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, and I loved going all the time. I felt an early calling in my life to be a preacher or an evangelism of some sort. I had a father that taught me a lot about business and a mother that taught me about God from a very early age and what it was like to live under God's presence. If there was really ever a childhood that provided a foundation for somebody to live a life-centered, Christ-centered life, it was mine. From my early days of high school and college, things to me were black and white. My convictions were my convictions, and I would stand whatever peer pressure came my way. I had a line in the sand, And I wasn't going to be altered from that. The focus of my life was my walk with Christ. Now during the second year of college, I met this cute little girl from Kentucky, who after I chased her for several months became my girlfriend and eventually my wife. And it's soon to be 37 years this September. that applause is for her because she deserves that one. Stacy would even tell you at that time that what drew her or what drew her to me was my walk with Christ. After we wed, we bought a house, lived a very stable life with Christ in the center of it. A few years later, a couple sons were born and life was good. Actually, life was great. Now, there's a song by Casting Crowns titled, Slow Fade. A portion of the lyrics are, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white turn to gray. Thoughts invade, choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. Well, I had some early success in business and began a life of chasing financial success, staying busy with life and becoming distracted, yet trying to fit Christ in where I could. In my private life, I was erasing those lines in the sand and creating new ones just ever so slightly different I was promoted to senior vice president of our company, and my role involved lots of travel and entertaining guests and customers. My conviction of not drinking moved to, well, I'll have a drink or a few drinks to, well, you know what, as long as I did my job well, and was a good husband and father when I came home. After all, my, my family was benefiting from all of this. I wasn't drinking every day. Or even every week. I was able to limit it to business, well, most of the time. I still had my standards, though, albeit a little different than what they were in the past. It's amazing how much compromising can be done over several years. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away, thoughts invade choices are made a price will be paid when you give yourself away now the the toughest part of living this double life was the internal spiritual battle that was going on for control of my life maybe you've experienced something similar i would wake up some mornings and swear you know i'm through with drinking through with the lies i'm ready to work my way back to christ if I could just be strong enough, listen to Christian music all day, read enough Francis Chan and C.S. Lewis's books, I could make myself clean enough to feel like I used to. I will get myself an accountability to partner, and together we're going to fix me. And then I would hear that voice, come on. Look at all the things you've done over the past 20 years. And you call yourself a Christian? I thought you were gonna be a preacher one day. I thought you would never lie to your wife like that. I thought, oh, no, no, just just be quiet. I don't wanna think about this. I just need an escape. Then comes another call home. Uh, What? I I laid it snow. I, 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 I mean, I know it's late. No. All I had was iced tea. Good night. I was in the middle of a shame spiral, and it lasted for years. Well, this takes us to a night in 2014 in Las Vegas. By this time, I was somebody that could still go days or weeks without drinking, but when I did drink... I couldn't stop like most people. Now, Christopher, he was an associate pastor at a church in Vegas, and I was in town for business. Christopher, Catherine, and I had gone to dinner, and then they went home. I decided it was maybe time to relax with a couple drinks, and this is where things went really, really bad. I cannot even tell you exactly what I did. Where I went... But sometime late the next day, Christopher found me in the lobby of a Las Vegas hotel. I really couldn't even stand or talk. He took me back to his house where he and Catherine took care of me for a few days. It took me that long to get back to feeling normal again. I had a few counseling sessions with Pastor Dave, the senior pastor of the church. And he helped me unlock a few things spiritually that allowed me some clarity as to why I struggle with the things that I did. The flesh and spirit are at odds with each other. In Galatians five seventeen, it states, The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the spirit wants. The two forces are constantly fighting each other. For years, I had been living my life with this battle going on inside of me, sometimes with bliss and sometimes with horrible decisions and outcomes. How did I get here? What was the choice that I had made early on that allowed me to keep erasing those lines in the sand? The last part of the song, Slow Fate, has these words that that I lived. People never crumble in a day. Daddies never crumble in a day. Families never crumble in a day. It was about this time that I read Revelations 2-4, and a combination of two versions says it this way. Yet I have something to say against you. You loved me very much when you first believed in me. You do not love me as that. Think about this. You do not live in a way that you did at the beginning. You must repent and do the things you did at first. It was really that simple. I had lost, lo- I had lost sight of why I loved being a cross- Christ follower in the beginning. I had forgotten my first love. Christ i had allowed money status ego to move shift and eventually replace my first love i wasn't living a life of repentance i allowed satan's lie that i wasn't good enough anymore to be worthy of all of god's forgiveness and grace and it caused me many years of turmoil. I had wasted so many years listening to that voice in my head, basically telling me that I needed to clean up my life before I could get back to relationship with Christ. Like many lives, there, are, there is a part of truth in that I wasn't good enough because no one is good enough. That's where Christ's grace and his love take over and allowed him to do what we can never do for ourselves. My life of repentance since then has not always been easy. I've stumbled at times, but I know that Christ loves me and is in me through it all. I'm a work in progress. My relationship with Stacy is so much better no living with lies. My relationship with my family is strong. I have been able to help a few people that's gone through some of the struggles that I have. I wish I didn't allow myself to go through all that I did, but I see now that Christ can use me and those experiences to maybe help others. I'd like to close with a line from one of my favorite authors, Brennan Manning it gives me peace, and I hope it does you too. God loves you unconditionally as you are and not as you should be because nobody is as they should be. Thank you.
0: I, uh... I want to be someone that ruthlessly and totally annihilates the idols of my life. And I want us to be a church that does the same. So we're going to go into worship, but I want to remind you what's always true of how we end in worship is uh, that there's going to be people that are praying in all four corners of this room. Uh, The Lord's table is available for anyone that is a follower of Jesus that wants to remember his sacrifice Um, But I really want to encourage you, let's change our posture if you feel comfortable. This whole area is uh, available for us, but we don't have to just repent. If you're in some crisis or some major sin in your life, I want to repent of the toleration of little things too. And so um, as we go into worship, I'd love for this place to be full. I'd love for if you feel comfortable to bow, Um, but we're going to, as a, a community and a family... I want to move into repentance together. And, uh, and I want to change my posture just a little bit to symbolize the change of heart that I have in me. And so, Father, we say yes to repentance, but not just for the sake of getting rid of sin. Father, we say yes to your presence. God, all we want is your presence. And so, Lord, would you come? Holy Spirit, come. And would you convict our hearts? And Father, help us to respond in the way that we need to. In Jesus' name, amen. The front's open, people are available for prayer. I'd encourage you to respond.